Genesis chapter 2 of Acts. I mentioned a couple of things to you and then we will get started. As always, once a month we have our help day at the Bartley campus, third Saturday of the month. That would be this coming Saturday. We, we, between two, three hundred families, averages about 250, 275. We'll come through and we'll give them food and or clothes. Uh, it's just an incredible ministry that God has blessed uh, far beyond than we ever thought it would be. But it takes a lot of bodies to get it done. So if you're available this coming Saturday, anytime between really 10 and noon is the, is the really busy time. But if you want to come early and help set up or you want to stay late and help tear down from 8 to about 1 o'clock, 1.30, but that's this coming Saturday at the Bartlett campus. So if you can uh, help us, it would be great. There's a lot that goes on, a lot has, that has to be done, and we just need as many bodies as we can this coming Saturday. Also, if you will mark on your calendar Friday, Good Friday, the 30th of this month, we're going to have a joint worship service that Friday night at 6.30 at the Bartlett campus. Peter and some of our folks are going to be uh, with the uh, Marcus and his people from Bartlett, and we're just gonna gonna have, a, and I'm gonna speak for five minutes. Why are you laughing? I've been told five minutes, so I can do it. No, I can't. You pray for me. Anyway, we're gonna have a, we're gonna share communion together, Lord's Supper, on Good Friday. It's just uh, something we're gonna do a couple of times a year, and Good Friday is the perfect time to do it. We'll, we'll do it sometime around uh, Christmas as well, and may, maybe some more, but. It'd really be a great time for the two campuses to come together as one. So, Good Friday night at the at the Bartlett campus. It's in it's on your uh, handout and make note of that if you can be there. I think you will uh, really be blessed. And in, in, uh, uh, Marcus and I've been talking about. It. Really looking forward to it. So, if you can make that, that would be great. And I, as always, remember on Easter Sunday here, not at, not at Bartlett because they got a bigger room, but here on Easter Sunday we're going to have two services, one at nine fifteen. One at 10.50. It's the hardest day of the year for me for a lot of reasons. One is i got to finish that first one on time. I struggle with that, as you well know. So, if you choose to come at the 9.15 one, mark it down. If you choose to come to the 10.50 one, mark it down. There will be two services on Easter. All right, take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 2 if you haven't done that already. And let's kind of, I think my little light is dying. This little light of mine has this little has passed away. Let us pray. All right, if you'll take your hand out and look at we are as we're going through the book of Acts. And a couple of things I want to remind you, always keeping focus as we're looking at anything in the book of Acts. And really, anytime you study any book in the Bible, you need to understand a couple of things. Number one, what was going on when it was written. Number two, what type of literature are you reading? Because number one, if you, if you take, go to the book of Proverbs, for example, it's a book of wisdom. It's going to give you wisdom, pithy sayings for living life on a daily basis. That's what Proverbs is about. It's kind of interesting how God in his sovereignty did, thing, did things. How many days are there in the average month? 31. Some have to, I realize some have 30. Uh, some have 21, some have 28 or 29, but 30, 31. How many Proverbs are there? Nobody knows. Somebody said it. Somebody, somebody's opened their Bible. 31. There are 31 Proverbs. 
And I've mentioned this to you before when my mother-in-law taught me a lot of great things. One of the things she taught me was every day she reads the proverb that, that corresponds with the day of the month. What's today's date, for example? Go ahead and look at your phone. You can't remember. Today is the 11th. So today she would have read Proverbs 11. And we're talking about, so she died at 97 and had been doing that for probably close to 90 years. And uh, but my, it's really interesting. My wife now and several of her siblings, we talked about it at their mom's funeral. Uh, they do that. And then like, she has a sister in St. Louis that she uh, tries to stay in touch with. There's some reason she can't. But when she can, they, they both re- they're both reading that psalm for that day that their mom used to read every day. And, and we were with their brothers yesterday, and they do it. It's just kind of, just kind of a connection generationally. But it's interesting how God did that. You can't go wrong reading the Bible anytime, but just if you're looking for something for a devotion beyond the incredible Our Daily Bread books that are free in the lobby on your way out, besides something like that or a devotional book that you might use, just something as simple as picking up and reading Proverbs 11 for the day and see maybe what God has for you there. It's, uh, I have a son that will be 31 on the 31st of this month. And it's really interesting, as Mary and I were talking about this week, as you read Proverbs, one of the things that constantly jumps out, it's always talking about your stupid son. And she said, look, God wrote this about Andy. And doesn't use the word stupid, that's my personal translation. But in Proverbs, the word is foolish. Oh, foolish son, don't do this. And oh, foolish son, don't do that. And so when I call Andy now, I just, in my contact, when it pops up, it's just oh, foolish son. And so when I talk to him, I just don't, I don't even call him Andy anymore. I just say, oh, foolish son of mine. And here's what you need to do as opposed to what you are doing as a 31-year-old man. But that's a different sermon for another day, and you can continue to pray for me concerning that. So back to the original point. When you look at a book in the Bible, Proverbs is a book of wisdom. Isaiah, book of, take a stab. Prophecy. So therefore, a lot of what you're looking at, even though Isaiah was certainly relevant at the time it was written, the prophet Isaiah, God was giving him information for down the road. When you read Acts, what type of book is Acts? What type of literature are you looking at? Incredibly important you do not forget this as we're looking at. It's an historical account. It is a book of history. A lot of doctrinal principles that we're going to see we're going to learn that you can apply to your life, but you got to keep bringing back to your memory as you read it that it is, a, it is a book of history. For example, if you read Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, on and on, those are epistles. Paul is writing a letter to an individual like Titus or Timothy, or he's writing a letter to a church in Galatia or, or Colossae or Philippi or Thessalonica. He's writing a letter to that specific church, and so it helps you to understand what was going on in the life of that church when the epistle was written and what was going on in Paul's life when he wrote it. When you study the book of Acts, if we've talked about it several times, you'll look at the top of your handout. We're looking at, thematically, as we're walking through the book of Acts, the kingdom of God, our prayer in our lives as believers, as the church. And Acts is the history of the early church. It is the beginning of the church, Jesus' body on earth, his group that's going to take the Great Commission and go into all the world. So our prayer life as the church is, we want the kingdom of God to come. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So 
thematically what we're looking at is the Great Commission continues. Jesus had said to them, I want you to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. And that is everybody, Jewish and non-Jewish, and I am with you always. So when you get to chapter 2 of the book of Acts, Acts was written by Luke. And, if, and we talked about this. Luke wrote his gospel as an account of Jesus' life on earth. And then he writes Acts as an account of Jesus' church on earth and the work that Jesus the Christ was doing and is doing, continues to do to this day in his church until he comes back. He said, I'm going away, but I will be with you always. Now go into all the world. So you have to keep that in your mind as you're studying this, that what we're looking at is the working out of the Great Commission in the early church, how it began, how it continues to this very day, that the church age began, Jesus ascended, he sent the Holy Spirit, it began, and it continues to this very day, and it will not end till Jesus comes back. So we're right in the middle of the church age. So for Peter and the apostles and then Paul and Timothy and Titus and Silas and, all, and Luke and all the church in the first century, that was their time. Whose time is it now? They're died, they've died and gone on to glory. Whose time is it now? It's mine and it's yours. And it's so thrilling to understand that. So as you read this, we're learning historically what our ancestors in the church did. We're part of the same body. We're part of the same family. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ that God worked through in the first century to literally, we talked about last week, he took 120 people in the power of the Holy Spirit and he turned the world upside down for the Great Commission because they believed in the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. So as we target toward Easter and celebrating the great resurrection of our Lord and Savior, it constantly we are to be reminded that we are his body we are his bride, and we are commissioned just like the apostles were to go into our world and make disciples of everyone that we can. That's what the church's reason for existence is. It's our reason for existence. And as a believer, and corporately as the church, corporately as a, a local church, our job within the body is to fulfill the Great Commission where God has placed us. And it's a privilege, and it's, it's a high call. So, last week, we began to look, if you, again, you look at your handout, the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. The day of Pentecost is the birthday of the church. This is the day Jesus had promised. He said, I want you to go to Jerusalem. I want you, I said, oh, they were in Jerusalem. I want you to wait here. Not many days from now, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then you will see power. To go into all the world, Ju Jerusalem, where you are, Judea going out here, Samaria going out here, and to the ends of the earth, you will be empowered to go fulfill my great commission. So what we're looking at in Acts chapter 2 is, number one on your handout we did last week, the church on the day of Pentecost. So let's go to chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. 
And there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So we began to look at last week. Here's the church. Here they are on the day of Pentecost. They're waiting on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes. So here's where we left off. They were all baptized, or they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So I want to pause here for a moment and go back for just a second and notice verse 2. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as. Do you see the little word as? I'm the only person in the universe that can give you an entire sermon on the little word as. But I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to make a point. The little word as, verse 2. It was a sound as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. Verse 3, there appeared to them divided tongues. What's the next word? As, if you've got the correct translation. As of fire, and one set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So what I, here's what I want you to notice. As means, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a rushing mighty wind. It could have been, but it simply was a sound like that. An incredible sound that got their attention. And then they had these divided tongues. It didn't, does not mean they had fire sitting on their head. They had something that looked like, actually the word means human tongue. Something that looked like a human tongue of fire sitting on them individually. That's the key to understand. These are signs that God is doing something incredible. Remember, Jesus had said, wait and I will send you the Holy Spirit. You're going to be empowered to now go out and do what I told you to do, the great, fulfill the Great Commission. So he's giving them some signs that God is doing something special. Remember, this is a book of history. This is an historical moment. It's the birthday of the church, Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit finally comes that Jesus had promised back in the, his last night on earth, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, I'm going away. He'll be with you. He'll be in you. And you're going to do greater things than I've done. You're going to go to all the world. It's beginning here. And it begins with these three signs. One is the great sound of a rushing wind. Second sign is that individually, they were, Jesus said, you will be baptized, quote, don't get hung up on water from me, just hang with me. You will be individually baptized, in this context, filled, it's the same thing. You're going to get the Holy Spirit individually and corporately, the, the sound of the wind And then the third, it's so beautiful when you don't get sidetracked. And the third sign, there on your handout, the filling of the Holy Spirit. You had the tongues, you had the fire, and then you had them speaking in tongues. Uh Uh-oh, now we're going to start treading on some strange ice. Hang with me. Don't get hung up. Let the Bible say what it says. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Because if you get... Caught up on this speaking in tongues, what you think is speaking in tongues, you're totally going to miss what God is trying to teach us here. So hang with me. Number one, you had the sound of the, we talked about the wind last week. The the wind is always a picture, many times a picture of the Holy Spirit coming. Jesus told Nicodemus, you can't see the, you can't see the wind, but you see what? What the wind does. So in our lives, you can't see the Holy Spirit, but guess what? He's sitting right beside you. No, he doesn't look like that person. But he's in that person. He's in you. He's here in our midst. Can't see him, but you can't see what he does. In your life, in the life of the person next to you, in my life, you know and you can see evidence 
of what the Holy Spirit's done. For just a moment, let's focus on the other two signs. Fire. He sends them the individual tongues of fire. Looks like, and not fire, looks like fire sitting on their head. Fire in the Bible is the number one symbol, particularly in the Old Testament, of deity. For example, Moses, when he first encounters God, how is it? In a burning bush. He sees this bush that appears to be what? On fire, but it's not consumed. And what does he say? I must turn aside and see this. In our translation today, he goes, wow, that's pretty cool. I got to check that out. So he does. And, And God speaks to him from a burning bush. And if you remember, in that encounter, Moses is just overwhelmed by the presence of God. And God says, in your own holy ground, why is it holy ground? Because you're in the presence of God. In the ark, in the tabernacle and in the temple, where was the presence of God represented to the children of Israel? It was in the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, the lid, the mercy seat. Nobody went in there except the high priest on the Day of Atonement, one day a year. That, that was where the Shekinah glory of God, nobody was allowed to go. If you went in there, you were struck dead. If the high priest went in there on the Day of Atonement and he did something wrong, he was struck dead. Matter of fact, they tied noisemakers to his robe. So if he went in there and offered profane fire what did, and God struck him dead, they couldn't even go in there and get him. So what did they do? They dragged him out if it happened. Because it was the presence of God. It was holy ground. And it was represented by the Shekinah glory, the incredible, unapproachable light. Moses, when he went out on Mount Sinai to get the law after the Exodus, how was it pictured? And he came down. What did it say about his face? He'd been with God, and how did his face look? It just glowed with an incredible light. He'd been in the presence of God. At the Abrahamic covenant, fire is pictured. In the giving of the law, the Bible says, quote, The Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. In Ezekiel, describing God, it says he's a raging fire, brightness all around, the whirlwind that he was in, and radiating out of the midst of, of the fire. John the Baptist, when he first saw Jesus, he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he says, I baptize you with water, but there is one coming whose sandals I'm not worthy to loosen who will baptize you with water and what? What? Fire. That's what's happening right here. That was a prophecy of the day of Pentecost. John the Baptist said, yes, I will baptize you with water, sign of repentance that you are turning your life over, repenting and giving your life to God. But there's one coming whose sandals I'm not worthy to loose, Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. He's going to baptize you with something much more significant. He's going to send you the Holy Spirit, who will then empower you to go do these incredible things for the world. And then you had the tongues. So, they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. We're going to come back to the tongues. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the promise Jesus made to them about their baptism. They were already saved. It's not a a moment where they're becoming born again. It's the historic day. Remember this book of history, the coming of the Holy Spirit to overwhelm them. They're filled to empower them to go do what God wanted them to do. So, now, verse 2. Third sign. We had the wind. You had 
Make sure we're all together. You had to win. You had the tongues of fire. Corporately, they're being baptized. Filled with the Spirit. Don't get hung up on baptism. Don't think water. Hang with me. They're filled. Let the Bible say what it says. And then the third one is they began to speak with other tongues. We'll see in a moment. Don't get hung up on this. In the Greek. I don't know what your background is. I don't know who you know. And, and it's always important when you study the Bible, just let it say what it says. This is not unintelligible gibberish. They're not standing up here going, they're not doing that. And I'm not mocking anyone that does. So hang with me. That's a totally different, we're not talking about spiritual gifts here. We will get to that. What's, what this word tongue means here, the third sign was those guys began to speak with other tongues. The word tongue means dialect or language. For example, I speak two languages. One is English and one is redneck. And so do you. So look at the context. Remember the moment. This is the birth of the day of Pentecost. And let it say what it says. In the room, there's about 120 of them. They're all Galileans. They're uncultured. They're uneducated. They've not been trained in foreign languages. They're fishermen, workers, laborers. They're, They're Galileans. God intentionally chose these people. And they're speaking. Look, drop down to verse 11 for a moment. Cretans and Arabs are going to come back to this. We hear them speaking in our own tongues or languages, dialects. Notice the end of verse 11 for just a moment. What are they speaking? The wonderful works of God. What is the gospel, the Great Commission? What were they to do? They would go into all the world and make what? Disciples of Jesus the Christ? They're telling them what Jesus can do for them. The wonderful works of God. He came. He died in your place. You can be saved. You can be born again. And if you go through and you look at tongues in the New Testament, the Bible tells us over in 1 Corinthians, they were given as a sign to the apostles in the early church to communicate truth to unbelievers. People who did not know the gospel, they were able to go to them and speak to them. They heard it in their language For example, if Steve Nance is Italian, he looks kind of Italian. Let's say Steve is Italian. I would be speaking English or redneck, depending on the moment. And as I'm speaking English, what is he hearing? What? He's hearing Italian. I'm getting goosebumps thinking about this. That's what's going on here. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it because you miss it. The beauty of of the incredible miracle that God is performing here. These 120 ignorant, uncultured, unlearned Galileans are simply, suddenly able to communicate with all these people we will see in a moment in their own language the truth of the gospel. Incredible miracle. Remember, it's a special, historic moment. It's the birthday of the church. God is saying, you need to pay attention to these people. They've got something that you need that will change your life and change your world forever. Look at verse 4. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak with other tongues. Notice the end of verse 4. As the Spirit gave them utterance. It's supernatural. Absolutely. It's a miracle. They did not have a script. They didn't say, okay, point two. They didn't have an outline that they didn't finish and took them three weeks to finish. That's not what they had. They simply were just proclaiming 
the wonderful works of God as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance for that audience to hear. Miraculous, supernatural, no doubt a miracle, the sound of the wind, the individual tongues like fire, and now they're speaking the miracle that just cements it all and solidifies that this is a work of God. They're speaking and the people are hearing in their own language. Now, for just a moment, pause. Why would God do the miracle this way? Don't get hung up on speaking in tongues. That's not what's going on here. What you think, when you think of speaking of tongues, the charismatic, Pentecostal kind of, that's not what's going on here. So hang with me. Why did they need this gift? Why did they need this miracle? Because it doesn't just happen here. It happens through Acts as they begin to communicate with other groups. Remember, they're all Galileans. They're all, they all are at Jerusalem. Right there, centered together, is where the church begins. But what was the Great Commission? Go where? If this is Jerusalem, go where? Out, out, out. Concentric circles. Go to Judea. Go to Samaria, which they didn't want to do. Go to the ends of the earth, the entire Roman Empire. They did not want to do it. They wanted nothing to do with non-Jews. But Jesus said, my kingdom is not just about Jews. It's about Gentiles. So you've got to go out. So... If they're going to go out and talk to these Gentiles, or if they're going to go out and communicate with people in far-flung corners of the Roman Empire, do they speak their language? Do they have an app on their cell phone where they can punch it in and they hear it? No. So for them to be able to communicate at that moment, at that time, the birthday of the church, the first century, this was necessary. It was necessary. Now, obviously, they could have got translators, yes, find somebody But it wasn't easy like it is today. This was something they needed to fulfill that commission. And God gave them, Jesus said, wait, the Holy Spirit's going to come. You will be filled, you will be empowered, and you will go out then and do what I told you to do, the Great Commission. They needed this incredible, no doubt, miracle, one that they could go out and share truth with their world. Jesus had also said, promised that this very thing would happen, and the Great Commission is recorded in the New Testament. He said this, or in the Gospels, these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons, and they will speak with new tongues. The church did this in the Old Testament. It had been prophesied. In 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth this, in the law it is written, With men of other tongues, pardon me, other lips, Old Testament, he's quoting Isaiah. I will speak to this people, and yet for for all that, they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore tongues, speaking in other languages, dialects, for a sign, are for a sign, not to those who believe, not for fellow Christians, but to unbelievers. Prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who who believe. In other words, this gift was given so they could share this new gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ to non-believers. They were also going to prophesy, and that means to speak forth the truth to non-believers. They were going to encourage and exhort and edify each other, but this particular specific gift was to share the gospel with people who didn't speak the same language they did. I hope you're seeing the beauty of this and not getting hung up on what someone else thinks this is talking about. Let it say what it says. Now, how do we know that's the case? Look at number two on your outline. We've seen the church. What happened to them? But look at the crowd on that day. Verse five. So after these three great signs happen, 
the birthday of the church, the Holy Spirit falls on them and they're filled and they speak with these other tongues. Notice verse 5. They were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from, from every nation under heaven. Do you see that phrase? So the first point I want you to notice is they were there. All the world was there. All the world. Now, what was the Great Commission? One more time. As you go, go where? All the world. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Make disciples of all the nations. Those people out there, now these were all Jews. Right here. Hang on. The day of Pentecost, they're all there celebrating Pentecost. There were millions in Jerusalem who weren't normally there. So these were Jews. But ultimately, just because they're Jews, by the way, they don't all speak the same language. We've already seen that. Now, verse 6. When this sound occurred, the multitude came together. They were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. They're all over the place. They've come from all over there. Second point I want you to know is they're astounded by this. Wouldn't you have been astounded? Suddenly these ignorant Galileans, remember they're all in town to celebrate Pentecost, Passover, which led to Pentecost, and they're all there to celebrate that as good Jews. And suddenly this group, along with the sign of the sound of the wind and the individual tongue, they individually got the gift. Now they're able to do something that just was blowing away the crowd. They were astounded, confused, amazed. Look at verse 7. They were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? The one I just made earlier. How are they able to do this? They're not trained, sophisticated. They're just Galileans. How are they able to do this? Because it's of God. I love verse 8. How is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Now look at verse 9. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. God, under the, Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God had him write this, I believe. So if you go look at a map of the day, put all these in, put pins on the map of the day, here's what you'll notice. Every point of the compass is covered by these names. Now, they were all in Jerusalem to celebrate Passover and, the Pente- and Pentecost as good Jews. But they're hearing the good news about Jesus Christ. And they're going to go back where? To every point of the compass. I think they might be talking about what happened that day at Pentecost, at Jerusalem. Of course they are. They heard, as we saw in 11, the wonderful works of God, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus as Messiah. Verse 12, they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what could this mean? And I love the next verse. 13, here's their solution. They're all drunk. You see that? They're all full of new wine. They're able to speak, and we're hearing Italian and French and pick a, pick a language. 
we're hearing as Cretans and as Arabs and all of these things that they mention, all these places. And their answer is, they've got to be drunk. Here's what I want you to notice. There's a principle here that's so beautiful. They don't have an answer, do they? Because the only answer is what? This is a supernatural work of God. They don't want to acknowledge that, do they? Has that principle changed? Now, I was sharing with my class this morning, like with my older brother. And I sit and witness to him. This has happened over the years. And he says, I'm an evolutionist. So we sat and we talked about creation versus evolution for a long time. We, thought, we didn't talk about creation. We just simply talked about evolution. For, for, I had, he was a captive audience. He had to ride with me to, up to see our aunt. For an hour and a half, he couldn't get out of the car. So we talked about evolution for an hour and a half. And by the time we got there, he goes, evolution's kind of stupid, isn't it? I said, sure is. He goes, you're going to tell me I was created, aren't you? I said, no. You tell me where you came from. He didn't have an answer. So he was talking about, well, he didn't believe the Bible. I said, okay, we got an hour and a half ride back. We'll talk about that one. But when you get cut through all the stuff, you, you can so show that evolution doesn't make sense. And the only thing that does make sense is somebody created this. Now, you don't have to believe it was the God of the Bible. Uh, like uh, Stephen Hawking says, it was aliens. Which would you rather go with, aliens or the God of the Bible? Please. So, okay, so you don't believe the Bible. That's fine. You got an answer? Scripture has an answer. You don't believe the Bible is true. Okay, I can show you how these, some of these guys knew things that happened seven, eight hundred years down to the detail after they lived. How in the world did they know that? How did the guy know two, two different guys in the Old Testament wrote hundreds upon, actually 2,400 years prior to the man discovered in 1492 that the earth was not what? Flat. We believed that till 1492 and Columbus sailed the ocean blue. We finally said, oh, it's round. There are two guys in the Old Testament that wrote that, that it was a solid ball, a sphere. How'd they know that? Because the God who hung it there told them so. That's how they knew. You can prove the Bible is true. But still, they're going to reject that. Jesus said, they have Moses and the prophets. Even if a man comes back from the dead, they're not going to believe. You know why people reject Jesus? You know why these people said everybody's drunk? Because they did not want to surrender to the God who was doing this. I don't want, I don't want anybody telling me what to do. That's what it is. It's a moral choice, not an intellectual one. Now, I realize in our culture today, so many times you see ignorant buffoons up there supposedly talking about Christianity, don't know what they're talking about. You don't see them interviewing sharp, intelligent people who do know because they don't have an answer. The answer is Jesus Christ will change your life and no one else can. These people were proclaiming the wonderful works of God. Now, they don't have a man doesn't have an answer to that. Peter does. Let's look at what he says. Third point in your handout. The church age. This is what you're looking at. We've looked at the church. And now you're looking at the church age. Also called in the Bible, last days. That's what we're in right now. That's why, as I said earlier, it's so cool. The church age. This is the birthday of the church. We celebrate every year. The resurrection at Easter. Fifty days later, Pentecost, Jesus, we celebrate. Here's something that's really cool, and then we're going to get into this. And I speak a lot. How many sermons do you think have been preached in the last 2,000 years? Several. Several. 
Some good, some bad, some it's kind of there. So I was studying this this week. It dawned on me, or last week, last two weeks. As it dawned on me, this is the first sermon ever preached in the church. What you're about to read. This is the first sermon ever preached because this is the birthday of the church. And it's really cool. Who's preaching it? Peter. Think where he was two months before. 50 days before. Where was Peter? I don't even know who Jesus is. What are you talking about? He cursed him. I don't, want anything, I don't know who he is. Doesn't God have a way of showing you he loves you? He's a God of forgiveness and restoration. You know the story. He restores Peter. He says, I need you to feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. I need you to lead them. Because I'm going away. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. You're going to have the power to do it. But I need you to step up to the plate, man. You think Peter felt worthy to do that? Of course not. How did Paul describe himself, the Apostle Paul? How did he describe himself? Chief among sinners. He said, what I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. You ever felt that way? Yeah, you have, because you're normal. I felt that way yesterday, driving around my wife, and she was constantly correcting me on my driving. <laughs> now that I've had a wreck, she feels like she has to, at all times, teach me how to drive. So we're driving around at, at every like, stop, you're too close. Don't get any closer to that. What are you doing? And I did not handle that well. So over on Germantown Parkway, I just put the, the van in park and got out. It wasn't good, was it? I said, just slide on over. Mary, my wife does not like to be embarrassed. Just slide on over, Mary. I'll, I'll come around and get in on your side. You can drive. She said, get back in it, man. You're embarrassing me. I said, I'm, well, I'm telling you. I'm not getting back in. Not. So I got back in. Now, was that smart on my part? No. Was it, should I have done? No. But you know what? What does God say? I know you're stupid, Randy. We, we all know you're stupid. But get back in the game. I got a job for you. And if you, I told you this last week or the week before, if you think you're insignificant to the great cause of the kingdom, you are wrong. I'm going to tell you that based on the authority of the word of God. When God saved you, if he was through with you, what would he have done? He'd have taken you home. He's not through with you. I don't care who you are and I don't care how inadequate you think you are. If you're saved, God has a ministry for you. You just need to find what it is and jump in with both feet. I was talking to my brother-in-law yesterday who's been a baseball football coach in this city. He coached me in the ninth grade in 1968. I wasn't one of his better athletes. But anyway, 19, we were joking about it yesterday. He's getting ready to semi-retire next year at seven, age 75. Since 1966, he's been coaching on a very successful level in this city. And here's what he said. You know, I think back at all the jobs I've had, Briarcrest, ECS, and Colonial, and Briarcrest again, and all the jobs that I've had. He said, I've been really blessed and fortunate. He loves to coach. He found his niche, didn't he? I love doing what I do. I love to share the word of God. I don't like some of the other stuff I have to do. I love I'm telling you, you have a ministry. You have a ministry. I don't know what it is, but I do know you have one. And if you think you're inadequate, you're calling God a liar. Don't ever think that about yourself. Now, notice what Peter says to them. I love this. So here's Peter's explanation of what's happening on this birthday. Verse 14. 
What's the first word? But, there it is, my favorite word in the Bible. But, Peter, he's about to say, no, no, it's not what you think. Pay attention. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and he said to them, I love the, raised his voice. Probably didn't have a microphone, he probably had, had a loud mouth. Peter was very boisterous and up front. He's speaking to the crowd, he raises his voice and, whoa, pay attention. He said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. In other words, pay attention to what I'm about to tell you. These are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. I love the sense of humor of God. You know what he's saying here? They can't be drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. That's exactly what third hour of the day meant. They can't be drunk. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. Even Jews don't get drunk by, by 9. That's what he's saying. And particularly at Pentecost, because it was a holy celebration. They didn't even, wouldn't even be drinking. Even if, you were, even if you were the town drunk, you wouldn't be drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning on Pentecost. I love the sense of humor of God. You know what he's saying? Man's only answer is they're drunk, and that, there's no way in West Memphis that can be the answer. They're not drunk. So what is it, Peter? What is it? What are you talking about? Let this be known. Peter later writes, he was always had something to say. Later he writes these words. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a reason, a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's in you with gentleness and respect. That's what he's saying here. This is important. Please pay attention. This is what God is, God is doing something very special here. They're not drunk. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. It's not a reasonable conclusion of what you're seeing. By the way, he doesn't take offense. He doesn't get mad. He's just trying to teach them. He's just telling, speaking the truth to them like a sober man would. We're not drunk. We have something to share with you. Verse 16. But rather than the fact you think they're drunk, this is fulfillment of what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Remember, they're all Jews. Would they know who Joel was? It's one of their prophets. Please don't miss this principle. It's incredibly important. When you're talking to someone, find out what they believe, where they're coming from, and meet them there. These were all Jews. They, they would have a high view of the prophet Joel, or the Old Testament as we would call it, anything. So that's the way he addresses them. When you get to Acts 17, and Paul's addressing the Greek philosophers at Mars Hill, he never quotes scripture. He, he quotes their poets. And he meets them where they are. So if you talk to someone who doesn't believe the Bible, then don't talk about the Bible. Talk to them about where you came from. Talk to them about conscience. Talk to them about creation. Ask them who they think Jesus of In other words, you see what I'm saying? Meet them where they are. Now, what does he say to them? This is what was spoke by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass. He now quotes Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days. They're in the last days. Church age, last days. Says God, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. On my men servants, my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. We're in those days now. They shall, they shall prophesy. 
I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun, the sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood. Before, notice this, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. Pause for a moment. Starts out, he's pouring out his spirit and you're seeing these signs. And he's talking about the sun and the blood and all that. Now, that didn't happen on this day, right? So then he says there's a day coming called the day of the Lord. That's when it all ends. You see the, how it's all being tied together? Last days is the church age. Day of the Lord is the second coming. When Jesus comes back and it's all wrapped up and judgment finally comes. So we're in the last days now. What's our job? To tell people the day of the Lord's coming. You can mock Jesus. You can reject Jesus. But judgment is coming. It's our job to lovingly, respectfully meet people where they are, speak the truth and love to them, and let them know there is the day of the Lord coming. Now notice verse 21. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You got Peter's explanation. You got Scripture's explanation. Joel. It's the last days. The book of Hebrews, we're going to end with this. The book of Hebrews the Bible says this, chapter 1, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days, church age, spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Peter talked about it. Jesus was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for, uh, for you. John says, little children, it's the last hour. All the apostles dealt with it, all of them. It's the time of the Holy Spirit. We're in it now. It's an incredible moment, the birthday of the church. What's the name of this facility you're sitting in? Is it Butcher's, Gordon's Butcher Shop? What's the name of it? Christ Church. The greatest organism that's ever been placed on planet Earth is the Church of Jesus Christ. The word literally means the called out ones. You were called by God. You were saved by God for your moment. Their moment was on the birthday. Our moment is today. Tomorrow. Until Jesus takes me home, then he takes you home. When he takes me home, guess what? He'll have somebody else ready to step in and carry on. That's why it's our job to make disciples. Do you see the picture? I hope you see how it all ties together. What's a disciple? It's a learner follower. What's our job? To make disciples of your children? Of anybody that you get a, ch a chance to, to pour yourself into? I had a friend call me this week. I haven't talked to him since he graduated from high school. He went to Bolton back in the mid-80s, and I was at, came to the church in 1984, and I met him in high school. We, really, we became really close, played ball together. Uh, he was a really good athlete. We played basketball and, and uh, later played uh, softball and uh, golf. He's a great athlete. He doesn't go, he, he doesn't go to church anymore. But he was really hurting and struggling. And he called me. Because he wanted to talk about spiritual things. 
That's been almost 25 years since I've even talked to the guy. Now, I'm not telling you that so you'll think something high of Randy. What I'm saying is you don't know what God's going to do. You just got to be available every day. All right, Lord, it's your day. What do you want for me this day to minister? You never know how God's going to use it down the road. You just don't know. Just be excited about who you are. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, as we wrap up our time together today, we simply want to be reminded that you're our Father. You called us. You saved us. We're the children of God. That you did that in those incredible signs on the day of Pentecost for a reason, to establish those apostles as your spokesmen. That this was a special moment in time. You were giving the Holy Spirit for their ministry, which changed the world. We want to be part of that today, Lord. We want to be part of changing the world for Jesus Christ. Use us as a church, as individuals in the church, wherever you send us in our community, even allowing us to be part of things around the world, just part of spreading the gospel, the Great Commission. Started with them, it continues with us. Thank you for the privilege, Father. And for somebody here who's not a Christian, not a Christ follower, they would realize Jesus is my hope, my only hope. I need to be saved. Just say, Lord, forgive me. Thank you for dying in my place. Forgive me. Save me. I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We commit this time to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we sing. And-